What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show Live. I'm Brandy Ann Walker, and today we have an exciting guest that is going to join us. What would you do if you hear an individual who has the ability to two Renaissance flutes, not one, two Renaissance flutes at one time in harmony? Can you imagine? This is a person who people say they've had more out-of-body experiences while listening to his music than any other musician alive today. People say that whether they've been meditating for a short time, not at all, or for 30 years, they've had the most profound spiritual experience of their entire life. He's a two-time Grammy Award winner. He has recorded 57 albums and has sold over a million copies. He's a healer, channel, writer of three books, artist, and has said that more people have had out-of-body experiences while listening to David Young's music than any other musician alive today. And rather than have me go on talking about him, let's get started and talk with David Young. David, welcome to our show today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Wow. Well, David, uh, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and where you grew up and, and where you were born and uh, things of that nature, and then we can dive in deep into the soul and heart of this matter. Sure. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, a long time before Brooklyn was cool, because it's very cool now, but when I was growing up there, it wasn't cool at all. Okay. And I learned, uh-huh. to, play the re- <laughs> I learned to play the recorder in third grade like everybody else. Um, I was the worst in my class the first year, and by some bizarre chance, our class was offered, offered a second year of the recorder, and so we got a second year of it, and during that time, I got really good at it. And then I studied from a guy in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra that, you know, lasted for about three years, Then I heard Jethro Tull, that was the end of my classical career, and I played in rock bands as a guitar player and a singer, and I ended up in California in the early 90s and I started playing my flutes at Venice Beach because I was out of money and I was in trouble and I was broke. And so I made these CDs. Actually, at the time, they were called tapes, cassette tapes, and they were called Celestial Winds. And, um, you know, we sold 10,000 copies of those tapes at the beach. I played with a harpist named, named Lisa at the time. And we worked together for four years, we sold 100,000 CDs together once we started making CDs, and then we started making our own music and went our own ways. And then one thing led to another, and so I started doing these events that are called Soul Ascension events about a year and a half ago. And 
I had been meditating at that point for about 30 years. And so in my meditation, I, I had experiences of, you know, you see the inner light, you feel that inner peace that comes with your meditation. And so that was really the extent of the menu in my mind as far as what was possible, as far as, you know, doing a meditation event with my flute. So from the first time I did these events, I was really surprised because at that first event I did, five people in the room all had experiences where they reconnected with one of their loved ones on the heavenly side. I didn't know that was possible because I'd never had an experience like that myself. And so I really tried to hide how shocked I was that the first person shared this and then the second person. And there were five people at this event that all shared reconnecting with a favorite grandmother or a grandfather or a wife wow. or a son or a best friend from childhood, you know. And that went on for about six months. And every single event I did, a large portion of the audience shared these kinds of experiences, you know. After about six months, um, I did an event, and three people at the event saw Jesus standing in the same spot in the room. Now, what did you feel yeah. emotionally when you when when you're hearing not only you know the first five people that you talked about now you're hearing that Jesus of all people is you know what emotion went through you? I didn't know what to think because I grew up in a Jewish family and um, you know Jewish people don't talk about Jesus and we in my house growing up we weren't even allowed to say his name in our house even though he was born Jewish you know. Um, oh, and, he, and Jesus was a Jew, so... <laughs> right. Um, so it was pretty bizarre. Um, and the fact that there were three people who all described the same thing. Uh, when the second person shared their experience, it didn't mean as much to me as when the third person, because there was something about three of them that's like, wow, this is... Uh, you can't make this stuff up, you know. And at that time, I had been talking with a, a famous channeler from Canada by the name of Bob Murray. And he was helping me to understand why so many people were reconnecting with ones in heaven at my events. And so I, I called him up and I said, you know, three people saw Jesus in the same spot in the room. Uh, can you connect a conversation to me and Jesus through you so I can ask him some questions, you know, um, seemed like the most logical thing to do. And so I called him up and he says, well, I can't make any guarantees, but I can try. So after about a minute of silence, he said, uh, okay, I've connected with Jesus. What do you want to ask him? And I said, wow, I don't even know what to ask, ask you because I was brought up Jewish and this is really strange to me. And he said, well, I can understand that. I was brought up Jewish also. Uh -huh. And that that was actually funny, <laughs> you know. Um, so I said, tell me a little bit about yourself so I can, um, you know, understand what you're into, what you're not into. You know, if you're going to start a friendship with someone, you got to start, you got to start somewhere, you know. Um, so and first of all, I want to say that this whole conversation that we're going to have today is not going to all be about Jesus because then Buddha started appearing at these events and, yeah. Kuan Yin and Mother Mary and um, Lao Tzu and Krishna, all these different 
people that we know as the saints of all the religions of the world, they all started showing up at, at the events. So this is just how it started. Very mm-hmm. Okay. So he said, um, I don't like pedestals. He says, when people put others up on pedestals, the only thing they get is a stiff neck. And then he, then he said the second thing was that he didn't like rituals, that when we have rituals, um, people think that they're getting closer to God by doing rituals, but because the ritual is done so many times over and over again, there's no love or heartfelt feelings involved in it. It's just mechanical. You know, he said a ritual actually after a while builds a wall between a person and their spiritual goals of, you know, communicating with God. And it it actually gets in the way. And then the third thing he said was really a shock because I never expected to hear it. And he said, I did not create Christianity. Now, that conversation lasted about an hour. Um, And then a few weeks later, I was chatting with a friend of mine who had read a lot of spiritual books. And just by chance, I, you know, I shared this, these three things that Jesus had shared with me with her. And she told me she had just read a book that was written by a woman who supposedly channeled Jesus. And those exact words were in the book. Mm-hmm. Now, over the, the past year and a half since I've had that conversation, there have been other people who have gotten that exact same message with those exact words. That's what he told me. So after he showed up, then Mother Mary started showing up next. And, you know, then all of the other saints over the last, you know, year and a half um, have appeared to people. And at this point, there's over 600 people who have come to my events who have had a conversation or spiritual travel with Mother Mary or Jesus and another 500 people who have had experiences either with Kuan Yin or Buddha or Lao Tzu or Moses or Gandhi or one of the Indian gods and goddesses. Um, so I've got a whole education from hearing the people at my workshops sharing their conversations right after they had that spiritual experience with one of those spiritual masters. And just for the record, um, they would rather be called teachers than masters. Yeah, they're, me- they're messengers. Yeah, for sure. And they're here to teach us and help us um, because they're at the level, spiritual level, where we eventually grow to that level. You know, whether it takes us mm-hmm. 200 years, 2,000 years, or two months of our spiritual dedication, or however many thousands of years it takes. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that they have said so many times that I couldn't even count it is that they have told people at the events, we are the same, we are equal, we are one. Mm-hmm. From the physical dimension, everything gets separated. You know, you either live on this side of the street or that side of the street. Um, You either have this amount of money in your bank account or you don't. There's all the separation in the physical world. But in the heavenly world, there is no separation. Everything is all connected and it's all one. It's difficult to understand from our physical perspective. But one of the things that I've learned how to do is I've learned how to explain to people that when we're in that heavenly dimension, there are a different set of rules than this physical dimension. So if you were just to 
think about the difference between being in your physical dimension, like where we are right now, versus swimming under the ocean in scuba diving equipment. That's a different dimension. There's different rules. It's like a different world, you know. Mm -hmm. And the heavenly dimension is the same way. There are different rules, and it's a different world. Now, one of the things that I found out is that um, at my events, it basically works out to 80% of the people at my events will have one of those experiences, either a conversation with one of the ascended masters or archangels, or a reconnecting experience with one of their loved ones, or past life experience, or an experience in the inner light. Okay, 80% of the people have that experience, because my workshops are three hours, and you know, we do two half-hour meditations, and then the audience has a chance to share their experiences. Now, oh. one of the things I've noticed is that the people who have had near-death experiences, 100% of those people have these experiences. They've already been there. It's like you ever drive someplace for the first time, and it feels like it takes hours to get there, and then after the fourth or fifth time you drive there, it feels like it only took 15 or 20 minutes. Because once you've been there, you've been there. And so all of the hundreds of thousands of people who have had near-death experiences, they share the same things in common in that experience. Um, basically, if they were in a car accident, they didn't feel any pain. They didn't feel an impact. They were separated from their body, and they were above their body looking down as this other part of themselves. Let's just call it their soul or their higher self or whatever you want to call it, that part. And then they find themselves flying and they feel themselves flying through a tunnel and there's this light at the end of the tunnel. The closer they get to that light, the more euphoric the feeling is. And when they get to that light, there's this overwhelming feeling of love and joy. Once they're in that light, the first thing they think of is, wow, I must be in heaven right now. And sometimes they will say, if I'm in heaven, am I going to see my grandmother right now? And instantly their grandmother walks up. Or somebody might say, wow, if I'm in heaven right now, am I going to meet Buddha or Jesus? And instantly Buddha or Jesus walks up. That's because in that heavenly dimension, everything happens instantly. And there is no difference in heaven between your imagination in reality, because your imagination is reality in heaven. In this physical world, our imagination is different from our reality. But in the heavenly world, whatever you think of while you're in that dimension, because it has a different set of rules, whatever you think of manifests instantly. And so, because the most popular book on the New York Times bestseller list for the last four years is Proof of Heaven by Dr. Eben Alexander. And he was a neurosurgeon who, you know, who kept track of all of his patients' experiences. And he saw a pattern that so many thousands of people had similar experiences in their near-death experience. And, you know, after you hear that from 20 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, you know, you get to realize that there is truth to this. You know, and that's why why his book is the number one selling book out there right now because he's explaining what I'm talking about from a, a medical scientific way. He can explain it from both 
what he yeah. emotionally and spiritually experienced, but he also has the, the medical side as a doctor, as a neuroscientist, you know, a neurologist, to yeah. be able to explain these these things neurologically, what can and can't be explained. Yeah. And this has been such an education for me because in my 30 years of meditating and reading spiritual books and being a spiritual student, I had never had an experience of, you know, reconnecting with one of my loved ones, you know, my grandmothers or anything. Um, even though six months after I started to meditate, um, my grandma Annie was in the hospital and she was in a, in a coma. And she'd been in a coma for weeks. And I went to visit her, and while I was visiting her, and, you know, I didn't think she was aware of me being there because, you know, she was hooked up to all the different things that they had, you know, keeping her alive. And I had the idea that I should do a meditation next to my grandmother. So I sat down, and I closed my eyes, and I started to meditate. And I saw myself flying upward, and I was holding my grandmother's hand with my right hand and her left hand. And I saw us flying straight up, and it was like at a very, very, very fast speed. And after a while, this, my logical mind kicked in and, and basically told me, well, you're taking her to heaven. And I got scared because I thought, well, I'm not qualified to take my grandmother to heaven because I've only been meditating for six months. Um, <laughs> and I woke, my, I woke myself out of that experience, and um, my grandmother passed a few hours later and you know in a peaceful way and that was the only experience that I had but because it was so early in my spiritual development I never really thought about it but um, there are tons of people who are connected to their loved ones in heaven and who talk to them all the time and get messages from them all the time and it's becoming so much more normal people to share these experiences now you know 30 40 years ago you couldn't really share these experiences you know it's interesting how reality changes because um all of the people who are the big time channelers and you know get messages from the angels and jesus and mary and you know the archangels all these people that are getting messages now who have wonderful loving successful careers 50 years ago the same people doing the same thing would have been put away because our reality was different then. But because of the ascension that's happening on the planet right now, where there are so many millions of people waking up and meditating and pursuing their spiritual enfoldment, we are in a whole other realm of understanding the spiritual world. It's like, you know, 500 years ago, all the intelligent, educated people completely believed that the world was flat. Yeah. And, you know, science eventually proved that the world was not flat. And science is eventually going to prove that we do live on after this lifetime and that there is another dimension after this and it's just a continuation of this physical dimension except instead of the cells being made out of matter and these physical things that we have, our cells are made out of light in the heavenly world. Well, even in a, uh, from a physics perspective, we've had uh, physicist doctors who um, most of them have multiple degrees, and um, a few of them also have degrees in divinity and are highly spiritual, which sounds paradoxical to many people, but a lot of them have been able to prove, even from a physics perspective, of 
you know, manifestations of the soul and the higher being and, uh, and so forth. So for those who require, you know, the scientific data, the data is out there, you know, from people not only like, you know, Dr. Evan Alexander, but we also have, you know, Don Miguel Reese, who is a neurosurgeon himself, Dr. Cynthia Sularson, sure. and there's quite a few others that we can cite. Um, but what you're saying is so true because the reality is we are all messengers. Everyone is is receiving messages in all sorts of different ways. Is that a lot of folks are asleep and they don't recognize that because it's been conditioned out of them. And so I think that's what, what's so extraordinary with you is how you began, you know, with your recorder and. You know, something that a lot of us in school, we, you know, we had to learn how to play the recorder when you were in elementary school. Sure. But there, you must have had some sort of other unusual feeling that prompted you to, to continue with playing the recorder. So as a child, I would imagine, were you, uh, do you consider yourself or recall yourself as being a very spiritual child, very connected at that point in time? Honestly, no, I wasn't. Um you know, like most people, I grew up in a grew up in a house that there was a lot of tension in the house, and one of the things that I realized was that um, when I practiced my flutes, I would get so focused on the music that I would forget the the tension that was in my house. It would kind of block out the tension because I was focusing on the music. So I had a real love for music right off the bat. Um, but I didn't really think that I was I was spiritual. I never really thought about that. And then when I got into high school, I got into playing the electric guitar, and I, you know, played hard rock music. I was into Led Zeppelin and ACDC and Bad Company and all that 70s music. And I didn't think that was spiritual at all, even though my favorite song in the world was Stairway to Heaven. You know, I didn't really... Um, I wasn't looking for any spiritual anything in that stuff because, you know, when you're a teenager, when I was a teenager, I just wasn't interested in that spiritual stuff. And then when I got into my early 20s, um, different things happened in my life that were, like, really waking me up. And so I started to meditate. And once I started to meditate, I, I just didn't stop. And I just found that when you're involved in rock music, it's it's a cool thing to do. And the more I thought about spirituality was what could be cooler than actually knowing what happens to us after we die? I mean, what's cooler than that, you know? Um, and so once I got on that path, I I stayed on that path my whole life. And I just thought I was a good flute player. I mean, I didn't know that my music had this ability of helping people transcend from the physical world into the heavenly world. I had no idea. Why would I think that? I didn't read that in any book. I didn't know it was possible, you know. You didn't even, and, it doesn't sound like you even set that intention. It just happened. No, I tell you, it was, it, it was pretty funny if you think about it, you know. I'm just hoping that people are going to relax, find some inner peace, and see the inner light. Because, you know, I've been seeing the inner light for 30 years of meditating. You know, some people see this purplish light. Sometimes they see a white light. You know, depending on what level of heaven they're going to, that's color of light. Because there's different parts of heaven that have a different color theme, just like there's different parts of earth that are deserts or jungles or prairies, you know. Um, not every single spot in heaven looks the same because it's a big place, just like earth is a big place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when people started sharing in depth 
descriptions of their conversations with um, with their relatives or their friends on the other side. Um, it was just uh, amazing to to hear it. And, you know, usually at every event, there's one person at the event who has what I call the lineup, where they float on the music, they find themselves in the heavenly dimension, and instead of having one of their relatives appear to them, their entire family in heaven, like it could be 10 or 20 or 30 people, their entire family in heaven lines up, and it's almost like a wedding line, where they each wait their turn to give the person a hug and a kiss. Sometimes they dance with them and give them a message either for one of their relatives who's still alive on earth or just tell them something that they loved doing with them when they were alive. And one by one, they go down the line, they wait their turn, and I call that the lineup. And usually at every event, there's one person who has that experience. It's just amazing. Wow. And the other thing I found out is that, um, you know, People who have pets and who have a deep love for their pets, I couldn't even count how many people at my events have reconnected with their pets. Because, um, you know, to some people, they're closer to their pets than they are to any people. And so because they have that love connection with with their animals, once their animals pass on, um, when they get to heaven, they reunite with those same animals. Beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, there there are people who walk out of my workshops or like floating, people who bawling their eyes out, you know, just because it touched them in a different way. And, you know, it's really a, it's really a mind blower for a lot of people, but it, it's totally consistent. Wow. Do you have a, is there anything that you do in particular uh, to prepare yourself and put yourself in a, in, in a, State or in a uh, show up in a different space before you start your your concert soul ascension workshops. Um, the honest truth is no, I really don't. Okay. Um, I do this three or four nights a week in different cities. I've done at this point I've done 177 of these workshops. Uh, one of the things that I do at every workshop, though, is that I do hug every person who comes, and I give them a long hug. Uh, one, because cause I'm doing these events so often, you know, there's a lot of spiritual energy that's in my body now because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing this four times a week at least, mm-hmm. you know. It, here's a funny thing that happened. Um, last year, I took my mom on a five-day road trip. And so we went to five different cities, and... You know, I do an introduction for about 20 minutes where I share different things with people like what other people have experienced at the events. Like, for example, this woman in Syracuse, New York, um, after the first meditation, she shared that she had an experience with Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King told her that he had work for her to do in two to three days. Everybody in the room heard it. There were 40 people in the room. That was a Friday night. On Monday morning, she posted on my Facebook page that her boss called her into his office. And for the first time ever, her boss told her that he was putting her in charge of the Martin Luther King Fund that was part of her company. And she'd worked there for 10 years, and she didn't even know there was a Martin Luther King Fund at her company. Wow. 
So those kind of things take your reality of whatever you thought or I thought your reality is, and all of a sudden, it just, you know, it, like the window opens up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I took my mom on this on this trip for five days, and so after I do about a 20-minute introduction where I tell stories like that, and I also usually tell that story about how Jesus showed up to the three people and the three mm-hmm. things that he shared with me, um, then I do about a 25 or 30-minute meditation with the flutes, and after three minutes, they're gone. They are totally up in another place. And so we go 20, 25 minutes past them already being at a deep, higher-level place. And then the audience has a chance to share their experiences. And then there's an intermission, and then we do a second meditation, and then the audience shares again for the second time. So my mom was with me for five events in a row in five different cities, and I was driving her back to her apartment. And I said, I'm going to be in your area, Mom, in like, in like two weeks. Would you, would you like to travel with me and, you know, and come with me again? And my mom said, David, I can't handle one more ounce of positive energy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sure you didn't expect For that real. reaction. Yeah. And um, two weeks went by, and as <laughs> I was on my way to, my next, to that next road trip, I called her up, and I said, Mom, are you sure you don't want to come with me on this trip? And she said, no, I need more time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of times what the, what the Ascended Masters share with people is funny. It's not serious, you know. Um, no. You were about to ask me something? No, I was about to say, you know, it's it's uh, for me. I've always said, you know, God has an amazing sense of humor. He's no doubt. Just he's much funnier than than you know any rabbi, priest, minister, you know, teacher will ever give him credit for because he really is funny. At least that's been my experience, um, you know, totally. with him. And so. So continue on as you were saying about uh, your mom and not being able to handle another ounce of positive energy. That's really funny, actually. <laughs> I know that cracked me up too. I I I love that that little story over there. Um, there've been, you know, one of the funny things that happens is, um, like, there's a certain I don't even know what the best way to describe this would be, but there sometimes when when the meditation is over, I see people that have like a, a serious, I don't know if disgruntled is the best word, but they look really confused. And I, I've seen this face enough times where I know what experience this person has had. That is the face of a person who has just had her first experience with Mother Mary or Jesus, and, and they come from a Jewish background, and they are like, why in the world? would Jesus or Mother Mary appear to me if I'm Jewish? Mm-hmm. And they have a very confused look on their face. But if you think about it, mm-hmm. both Jesus and Mother Mary were Jewish. And it of doesn't course. matter. You know, there's, there's Christian people who have experiences with Buddha or Kuan Yin. Yeah. There's like those, those lines of division, the separating, competing things that the religious organizations have because they're all trying to get the same $20 that everybody has on a Sunday or whatever to make a donation. But there is no competition between 
all of the spiritual masters. They all are working together. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about it. All the Christians think that Jesus is love, okay? And all the Buddhists think that Buddha is love. And all the mm-hmm. Hindus think that Krishna is love. So let's say there's only one thing of all, of all those things that is actually true. And let's just say that Buddha is love, Jesus is love, and Krishna is love. Well, if they're all love, that means they're all connected to the same one love. Mm-hmm. They're all they say God is love. the same. Yeah, it's like pretty simple. What inspired you to play two flutes simultaneously? Well, that's a big part of the energetic aspect of what I do because I play two different sizes. I don't normally play the little one that we all learned in third grade. That's called the soprano. There's an alto, which is the next size up, and the tenor is a size bigger than that, and then the bass is bigger than that. And the two that I play the most are the alto and the tenor together in harmony. And those two flutes create what's called the triharmonic tone. And what that means is that the two notes create a third note. It's like a vibration. It sounds like that's inside the music that you can't really hear it because the physical tones of the two recorders are louder than that subliminal triharmonic tone. Um, The way I started doing that, it's a pretty funny story, is um, in 1990 I moved down to California. I had been a rock musician for like 12 years and 30, and I was down to my last $100, and I was in trouble. And I went down to Venice Beach to play my flute just because I had to think of something. And I met this woman who played the harp. And um, we made a tape with my last $100. That tape was called Celestial Winds. And, you know, for the first year, she only knew about six songs or seven songs because, you know, she had been playing the harp for three years, and that was her repertoire, you know. And so we played those same six or seven songs over and over again, like 30 or 40 times a day. And for a musician, that's called torture, okay? So every time people would be walking by us playing on the beach, we would say, look at that beautiful woman and that beautiful harp, because, you know, she would wear these white linen dresses, and she had this long, dark, curly hair, and a beautiful Celtic and I would be like the invisible man and it used to frustrate me that you know I wasn't getting appreciated and she was getting all the attention and so during the afternoon after I played those songs about 25 or 30 times each you know um, out of absolute boredom I would pick up a second flute and try to play the second flute with my original first flute. So I would be playing two of them at one time. And every single time I did that, whoever was walking by would say, Hey, look, there's a guy playing two flutes at one time. And then she was invisible. And that was the only reason why I did it. And so besides the fact it creates a beautiful sound, it's a very memorable thing to see somebody playing two Renaissance flutes at one time. That's, that's why I started. That's I never would have sold all the millions of CDs that, that I've sold with, without, um, without the two flutes thing, because um, it's been my trademark, you know, two flutes and a puffy shirt, because I used to wear a puffy shirt from 1990 to 1998. On all my albums, at all my performances, that was my trademark. One of the funny things that happened a couple of months ago (laughs) was I had a, yep, 
Yeah, that, in case you were wondering, the writers from Seinfeld got the idea of that puffy shirt episode from seeing at Oh, I was going to ask you the opposite. I was going to ask you if you saw the episode of Seinfeld and if that gave you the inspiration to wear the puffy shirt. <laughs> no, I was wearing that shirt for a year before they made the episode. Mm. And so what happened at one of the events, I had this 10-day trip. And... The first night was at a place I had never done an event at before. And so I did my introduction and I did the half hour meditation with the flutes. And the first woman who raised her hand to share said, I just had my first experience with Jesus, but why do you think he showed up wearing a white puffy pirate shirt? Oh now, the gosh. people who who had read my book know that there's a chapter in my book, Divine Inner Guidance, that's called Two Flutes and a Puffy Shirt. So the people who had read that book all thought that was the funniest thing ever, you know. It is. And she had never been to my events. She didn't read any of my books. She didn't know any about this, anything about this. So that was the first one. And then two nights later in a different city with a completely different audience, after the first meditation, a woman shares, I just had my first experience with Jesus, but why do you think he showed up wearing a white puffy pirate shirt? That was the second one. <laughs> Two nights later was the third. Two nights later was the fourth. And then on the last night, a fifth person saw Jesus had a total experience with them where he was wearing a white puppy pirate shirt. And none of them had read my books. None of them really knew anything about me because they had um, been brought to my event by a friend. And if you think about it, um, when you see a baseball game, all the guys who are on the same team, they're all wearing the same shirt. You know, they're all wearing the same color. So this way... You can tell that they're on the same team. And, you know, he doesn't always show up wearing a white puffy pirate shirt. I really like it when he does just because I get a kick out of it. But um, from time to time, he does. But the interesting thing about it um, was that the very first time that he showed up wearing that pirate shirt, I had I had found out some information that week that I thought was really um, important information that related to everything. And that piece of information was the fact that the first mention of the virgin birth was added to the Bible 381 years after Jesus had supposedly died. Now, if that's the foundation of Christianity, don't you think they would have put that on the first page in the first chapter, in the first paragraph, if that's the most important thing of everything, that virgin birth? Why did they wait 381 years to add that to a later version of the Bible? And if you look it up on Google, the reason why that is is because at that point in time, there were five other religions that were very popular all over the world that all had a virgin birth in their Bible. Buddhism, Mithraism, and three other religions that are not around in the world anymore. And so they didn't want it to look like Buddhism was cooler than Christianity, so they added it to the Bible 381 years later. And I have to tell you, when I shared that with the audience that first time, I felt so uncomfortable because I felt like I was being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time he appeared in the white puffy shirt was right after I shared that piece of information. So if that had pissed mm-hmm. him off, he probably wouldn't have come wearing my shirt to somebody. You know, I, I felt like that was a confirmation that it was the right thing for me to say. And the more I kept saying that, the more he kept showing up with the puffy shirt, you know. Yeah, you have to be true to yourself and stand in integrity of what your message is, regardless of, you know, what your left brain 
or what your ego or, or anybody else thinks because you have to stand in that truth that you know. And yeah, absolutely. It may sound crazy to others, but it's like it's like, well, you know, you just have this knowingness now, so you can't just keep it to yourself. You have to express it, bring it out. Yeah, so there's no doubt. You honored I mean, that, and yeah, you honored yeah. that, and so you were honored as well. That's how I felt. That's really how I felt. And you know, just judging by the success of of what people have experienced at these events, which is a combination of the things that I share with people that other people have experienced that open their minds and show them it's possible. Like there is a menu of possibilities that is beyond what your logical mind would ordinarily think. And, you know, the music relaxes people and there's something about it that where it's just so heavenly sounding that it kind of lifts you up into that dimension. And then the ascended masters and the archangels, they take it from there and, um, give people the experience that they've always wanted to have. So I started That's this whole thing out thinking I was, I was just a good flute player, you know, um, <laughs> having, no, having no idea that I was... And there are so many people who, with their healing gifts, who are part of the whole positive force on, on this planet, you know. All the healers, all the people who are trying to help people grow and understand their own spirituality, they're all connected to this one positive source. And one of the things I always tell the audience is that, you know, of all the religions that are on this planet, there are really only three religions. And those religions are the people who are trying to make things better, the people who are doing nothing, and the people who are making things worse. When this life is over, that's the only thing that counts. It doesn't matter what language you spoke when you were alive, what religion you were part of when you were alive, what country you came from, what color your skin is. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters is are you trying to make things better here as much as you can. Makes sense. In in whatever way, what's that? What a beautiful message. So well, it's the so, truth. Yeah, yeah, it is the truth. And <laughs> and so what Simple. what would your you know our series uh, you know we talk about the secrets to success and and I'm what would you say to uh, uh, any kind of musician or any kind of creative? Um, you obviously you know when you created that first Celestial Winds uh, tape and you began to play that music, you're down to your last hundred dollars. You were using, you know, a God-given ability and talent that had been placed there for, for a purpose. So um, is there anything from a feeling perspective that you can relate to, to folks out there so that they might use that as a hint that this is the direction that they're supposed to be uh, going in? Yeah, sure. Well, there's different things. Um, one of them would be you've got to do things that nobody else is doing. You know, if you're going to just do the same thing everybody else is doing, it's very hard to get noticed. And if you don't get noticed for what you're doing, then it's hard for your business to grow. So you've got to think outside the box. Um, and that two flutes thing, even though it wasn't something that I was doing for a musical thing, it was just because I was frustrated that she was getting all the attention. Um, that turned out to be a great thing. And the other thing is that um, lots of companies hire consultants to help them with their business. And, 
if if you listen to your customers, um, your customers will tell you everything you need to know about being successful. And one of the things that I found right off the bat in the early 90s is that any time a massage therapist to my booth, they bought every single thing that I had. And so after a couple of years of that, I found out about the massage therapy conventions or the spa conventions. And for seven years, I was the only musician playing at these gigantic conventions all over the United States that would have anywhere from 20,000 to 50,000 people who all needed relaxing music because in the 90s, you know, you didn't have digital radio. And every spa, every massage therapist had to buy CDs from somewhere or tapes, you know. And um, so once I found that, it was like opening up the whole world of, you know, there there were these some conventions that I would do that I, sold 1,000 CDs or 2,000 CDs in a weekend, you know. Uh, That was because those were people who needed what I had. And one of the things that's, you know, that's absolutely the the truth is that people want music now that is the most spiritually empowered music they can get their hands on because a lot of people use spiritual music like what I make um, either to meditate to or if they're a channeler or a psychic or they do Reiki, you have to have music on during that. You know, I know professional psychics that have done every single reading for the last five years with my creation CD. That's one of my, my creation CDs. Um, they won't do it. They won't do a reading if they don't have that music playing because they feel like that just totally sets the spiritual vibe in the room and it helps them tune in so they can get the messages they need to give to their clients, you know. And, you know, with the whole digital age, it's, it's been, um, it was a roller coaster, there's no doubt. But I think that roller coaster has balanced itself out. And people who want spiritual music, they're going to buy the CDs or they're going to buy downloads on my website, whatever. Mm-hmm. They'll do whatever they have to do because they want to have music that's going to help their spiritual walk. Mm-hmm. Help them on their path. That's interesting that you had that inspiration to look into, you know, from that one massage therapist, and you started noticing that that pattern that you know all the massage therapists, you know, that's a clue, obviously. And then you follow totally. that thread of of inspiration of going, well, wait a minute, you know, I should check out, you know, massage therapist conventions and therapist conventions, and lo and behold, there's a, a completely untapped market. You're not doing what all the other musicians oh. does do you're kind of going in the opposite direction and now you're going to really where the energy the energy was coming to you and you're following that thread of energy if you want to think of it you know from that perspective too true yeah you, you know the thing is is that there's in every business whether you're a writer a musician any creative business there's two parts of it there's the creative part where you create your art or your music or whatever it is and then there's the marketing part of it. And it always feels so good when we're in that creative side of our brain that it can be tenuous to force yourself to work on the marketing part because it's so much fun to do the creative part. And because, you know, I was 30, I was at Venice Beach, and I'm like I'm a serious problem in my life because I'm in trouble, you know. And so I made enough money at Venice Beach every weekend, and then it started to grow where 
we started doing art festivals all over the country. And I literally flew from L.A. to New York or L.A. to Chicago or L.A. to Miami 45 weekends a year. Where, wow. I mean, I had frequent flyer mileage on every single airline, you know. Over the last, you know, since 1993 when I started traveling and doing this, because that's when I stopped working in Venice Beach. Since 1993, I've spent over a million dollars just on the airfare flying me and my assistants around. Um, wow. But I, have, I, I had to do it. You know, I spent over a million dollars creating all my albums. I actually have, you know, 59 albums now. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I get to be creative. I get to work with amazing musicians. Um, I don't make the albums by myself. I don't have a studio. I don't want to have a studio. If I had a studio, I wouldn't have any life because I wouldn't ever leave the studio, you know. Um, yeah. So I always go to professional places and have a professional engineer do it because I want my music to be the best quality so it has the deepest, highest spiritual vibration that it could possibly have. And I don't want to do that by myself. I want to have a professional do it. You know, the Beatles didn't make albums by themselves. They had professionals who were working with them. And I just, I don't want to have my own studio. I actually like interacting with human beings. And if I'm in a studio, I get to, you know, work with people at the studio. And that's, that's enjoyable to me, you know. It's amazing. It makes a lot of sense because you're, you're keeping focused on what you're good at, and and you don't want to get diluted and diverted with uh, becoming an expert running the studio. You want to be continue in your yeah. giftedness and in your expertise, and where your soul really sings, which is in actually creating the music and creating that experience, and then recording it so that it can be brought to the masses in the purest form. And you leave the the, the delivery method and the technical aspect to those who are you know, experts in that realm, and you just focus on your part, which deals with that beautiful um, place that you're in, uh, you know, standing yeah. in that integrity. Yeah it, keeps the, yeah, it keeps the channel clear, and every successful businessman knows that if you don't find people to do what you don't do well, you know, whatever your weakness is in business, if you don't find somebody who excels at that, you can have a problem in your business. You know, you need... You can't do it all yourself, and it's great to have people who you trust and who can add in the places where our own weaknesses are not as strengths, you know? Um, so the whole thing of finding ways to get whatever you're doing out there into the public, you know, whether it's putting flyers up at a Whole Foods or whatever it is, you know, you've got to find, find a way to get get yourself out there so this way you separate yourself from everybody else who's out there. I mean, I got to tell you that when Lisa bought me that first puffy shirt when I was at Venice Beach in 1990, I felt pretty silly putting on that shirt, you know. Um, but, you know, people started recognizing me from it, and, and it turned out to be a good thing. You got to be kind of part of your branding that, then. Absolutely. You got to be willing to do things that no one else is willing to do because sometimes that's the only thing that separates you from everybody else who's trying to uh, accomplish the same thing you you're trying to accomplish, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, if there's a, if there's an easy way to do it, if anybody out there knows an easier way, well, you know, please call me up and let me know what it is, but I haven't <laughs> found an easier way, you know, I've been doing this since 1990 and, 
You know, now about 300,000 people listen to my music every day. There are hospitals that have my CDs on repeat 24-7 because I feel like it's the most healing music that they can get. And, you know, the people who come to the events, there are some people who have been to my event 10 times because every single time they come, it helps lift them to a higher spiritual level. And it's like a spiritual power booster to their to their meditation or to their whole spiritual life. There are people who have never channeled in their life and come to two of my events. And from that point on, they can hear, they can talk to their mom. They can talk to their grandmother because they're able to hear it because they've experienced it at the event and it opens the doorway. It opens the pathway. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm hearing what you're saying and, and I understand that obviously people are, in a very allowing state and receptive to the experience yeah. and not really um, attached to a particular outcome, just knowing that there's a possibility of something incredible happening when they come to your Soul Ascension workshops. And one of the things that I've uh, realized as I've not only meditated myself and prayed and, and had so many guests on our show is that um, oftentimes, you know, our worst enemy oftentimes is our, our own self because we have been conditioned with labels and we have certain meanings to words, like the word channeling, for example. This is a perfect example. The word channeling, you know, Christians think of, ooh, somebody who, who channels or somebody who's a psychic. Oh, heaven forbid, that's, you know, uh, you know, that's blasphemous, it's heretic, you're playing with stuff having to do with the devil just because you use the word channel or being psychic. And those are just words. And they have paradigms about those two words. Now, if you, yeah. instead of saying channeling to a, and I'm talking about, you know, a Christian who's, you know, mired in the Christianese and very fearful of, you know, the wrath of God and all that. If you, instead of using channeling or psychic and you just say that you were inspired or you were directly receiving, you know, through your connection to God, and it really means the exact same thing. But now yeah. because you said because it was inspiration or you had your direct connection and you felt, you know, the spirit, you know, flowing through you, now it's okay. And so I completely we agree. oftentimes, yeah, and so like the yeah, whole what you were talking about, you know, the religious, you know, boxes, if you will, because God didn't create those religions. It was man who created those religions. You know, Jesus right. didn't say, you know, you know, those of you who are listening to my message and embrace it and are following me, you guys are all now Christians. No, there was a group of people who got together, and they're the ones who organized that. He didn't say that that was a requirement. Never. Totally. And, and you so, know, of the 600 people, 600-plus people who have had experiences with Mother Mary or Jesus at my events, mm-hmm. do you know how many people he has said that I'm the way, the truth, and the light to? Mm-hmm. Zero. How many? You know how, you know how many people he said, I died for your sin? Zero. Not one. And as far as the whole Christian thing goes, the way our world is, it's like Christian people have chose to like separate themselves from people yeah. who are not Christians. And so it doesn't even matter what they think because the world is big enough where they can believe what they want to believe. And, you know, the more open-minded, spiritually advancing people can believe what they want to believe. It doesn't matter what, what they think because those people are not going to come 
to my events or to your events, um, they're just not going to come because it's not part of their church. And they won't look at anything that's outside the church of the Bible. And that's their choice, you know. I don't even worry about those people. And actually, a couple of people have come to my events because they were Christians and, like, their wives or their husbands um, were more new thought people. And Mm -hmm. those people had amazing experiences at at my events. Um, You know, God is unlimited. doesn't care what color we are, what religion we came from, what language we speak. Yeah, there are, in the spiritual realm, there is no box. That Those boxes and separation lines are only physical. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I think that the more, you know, I think as individuals, as souls, and I think your music is a, a perfect conduit and vehicle where it's helping people recognize that if you look at another human being and you just realize that, your one soul recognizing and interacting with another soul, you know, the box of how old they are, how tall, how short, how big, how skinny, how religious, not religious, if all that stuff is just by the wayside and you just recognize that you are a soul coming into contact with another and that other soul has a name and looks a certain way so that you can recognize them visually and so that you can address them by name and call their attention, and that's that's all that really matters. All the other things are are you know aren't like really the most important things. Yeah. So yeah. it's like for me to look at you and say you're a, a man of X you know X age uh, whatever you know age you are or whatever religious organization or even whatever degrees you have. It's like if you come into a space of looking at human beings and you put your, you decide because it's I think really an individual decision that people make. If you decide that from now on I'm just going to look at people, you know, relating one soul to the other, um, your experience with people really changes because now you open yourself to, first of all, you're connected to them, obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't be in your experience experience to begin with. And now the, the paradigms of, oh, they're this age, so they should be behaving this way, they should like this type of music, they should have these type of ideas, all of that it all drops off. Now you're, you're more able to see the bigger part of who they truly are and why it is that your, your two experiences have come into contact and, you know, what, what is there in that space. And there's always something because nothing is by accident. It's always by God's, you know, divine design, yeah. as I say. Yeah, for sure. And every day when I go out um, and I go to whether I'm at a restaurant, a grocery store, whatever, whoever I'm I'm meeting who is either shopping at that place or working at the place, um, especially the people who work at places, I, I always want to be their favorite customer the whole day. I want to make them laugh, mm-hmm. make them smile, do something that lifts their day up because I want to make a difference in their day. And... Um, you know, the little things that we do, it, it all adds up. You know, you lighten up somebody's day, well, then they can light up somebody else's day, you know. It's it, it's all about just trying to do whatever you can in that moment to, to share a little love and a little light in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And whether you're playing a flute or whether you're cooking food or whatever you're doing, you know, it's just um, just trying to make the world a better place. We... We need it, you know, that the universe needs us to, to be these positive, 
lights in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what every single one of the ascended masters bef- before they became ascended masters and when they were in the physical state like we're in now, they're all saying the same thing. They truly are. They're saying the same message, you know, in in different ways for people to understand it and absorb it and accept it and integrate it into the beingness of who they are. Just think about it. 4,000 years ago, when Krishna was around, you know, he came from India. What are the chances back then, 4,000 years ago, of somebody from India making it all the way to America? Well, it was not a very big chance, you know? Yeah. So, you know... Improbable. So that's why, um, you know, different spiritual masters appeared in on the different continents. So this way, this higher truth about, yeah, everybody is covered. Because, you know, it totally wouldn't be fair, you know, if if only the Christians went to heaven and everybody else was out of luck. I mean, how how does that make any sense? Or if all, you know what I mean? Or if all the Buddhists were the, if they're the only ones who go to heaven and everyone else is out of luck, that just doesn't add up. It just doesn't make any sense. That's, that's part of God meeting you at where you're at. He is going to relate to you and show up in the way that you are, because you know, he designed you. So he's going to show up in the way that you are going to receive the message in the highest and best manner for you, for your experience. And so that's why, you know, uh, it's funny because during one of my, my prayers, I like to go to the, the beach and pray and meditate there, even though I obviously I pray and meditate wherever I am. But one of the things that I remember him mentioning to me once was that, you know, the whole thing about religions and all the different, you know, uh, not only leaders but ascended masters and whoever the different icons are for those different spiritual belief systems really is like 31 flavors ice cream. It's like not everybody (laughs) is going to like chocolate chip ice cream. Some people are violently allergic to chocolate chip ice cream. And they may even like the taste of chocolate chip ice ice cream, but the um, consequences of having chocolate chip ice cream are detrimental to them, so they prefer a rainbow sherbet that tastes equally, you know, delicious uh, to them. And yep. for them and their body and their system, that's assimilated better, and so they stay away from, you know, the other 30, 30 flavors that are there. And that's what yep. you know, religion is is for too. And the different, you know, they're really all the different uh, teachers and ascended masters and all of these things, they're really the many faces of God showing us in human form, you know, uh, an ideal way of living and being and, and, and so forth. So, Absolutely. Um, we are and here. Mm-hmm. are we ahead. at the end of the show now? We're getting close to the end of the show, uh, and I want to hear what your next thought is, and then I'd like you to share with us what, if you have any concerts that are coming up in Southern California while you're here and uh, beyond. Sure. Um, well, my my website is davidyoungmusic.com, and if you go, I have a, a Facebook page that you can go under for David Young, and I have an event on Sunday morning. It's in, in the Alhambra area of East L.A. You can look it up on my Facebook page if you like. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that with with the ascension that's happening now with 3 million Americans who are doing yoga and meditating, um, one of the things that has really been made clear to me at my events is that the ascended masters and the archangels, they are so receptive and they are available to everyone. 
And don't feel strange about having an inner conversation with any of the ascended masters that you want to connect with because mm-hmm. they want to help us. They want to help all of us. They want to help make the world a better place, and they want to help each one of us with our own spiritual unfoldment. So, you know, I think that I think it, I found that it's it's time to start meditating for longer periods of time. Like I used to meditate sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, but I definitely find that if I meditate for 30 or 40 minutes or even an hour, the spiritual benefits that I get from those longer meditations now are really helping me, and I really feel a difference. So, you know, it takes that first 10 minutes of your meditation for your you know, mind to get out of the way, and then you start getting to the good stuff after fifth. Get more mm-hmm. of that good stuff, you know. I I agree, and and I would encourage um, our listeners, anyone who's uh, tuning into the show, is uh, uh, you know, one of the things that helped me a lot in my prayer and meditation time is to just speak out loud to God, just as I'm talking to you, and. Yeah. At the, at the beginning, you can make believe if you don't really believe that God is sitting right next to you or right in front of you or to the left of you or wherever. But just make believe that he is sitting and picture whoever it is that you need to picture if you need you know, the picture of a man or a woman in any form. And just make believe you're talking to your best friend because he, in fact, is your best friend. And there isn't any word you can say to offend him. There isn't any level of emotion of anger or upset or or, or um, her. Any negative and you, emotion. You talk to God as a her. <laughs> exactly. That's why I said him or her. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and just freely talk out loud. And you know, what do you care what anybody else thinks? And if you're in the privacy of your own room, or you're at a park, or at a, you know, in a beach, in a place alone, you know, that's your you time. You're secluded away from all the noise and the distraction of everything, and allowing yourself to just have those conversations out loud, and then. You know, when you make statements or when you ask, you know, questions, don't be surprised if you hear a response, which is clearly not in the way that you normally speak. It's not the, you know, languaging phrasing that you normally use will come to you. And that's part of how you recognize it's like, wait a minute, did I think that? Or that's not the way I usually speak. It doesn't sound like me. And just giving yourself permission to do that. I think is uh, oftentimes the first step for people to really start to experience that other, um, I don't want to call it other world because it, it's really here right now. It's just that you, you've ignored it and denied it and kind of pushed it away out of not knowing any better. Yeah, for sure. You, you said that perfectly. I, I agree with everything you just said. Well, I, on, our, on your Facebook page, I just want to reiterate that uh, you have uh, July 10th starting at 11 a.m., on Whittier Boulevard in Los Angeles, you have a free event. For those of you, uh, you can just go to facebook.com, david.young. You'll see the information there if you're in Southern California. Otherwise, your website, David, you said is davidyoungmusic.com. Yes. davidyoungmusic.com. Yeah, next mm-hmm. Friday, I'm, I have an event in New Jersey by the Jersey Shore. And then on Sunday, I'm in Baltimore at a big event called the Illuminate event. And then I go to Fort Lauderdale for four events, and then I go to Orlando, and and that's all I can remember. Yeah, I see. We see your calendar here. This has been a beautiful hour with you, David. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Bottom Line Show Live and sharing um, your heart and your soul literally with us, and uh, this has been truly a profound experience. 
Uh, thank you for oh, thank you so much. the grace of your presence. And there's okay. a, you know, I just remembered there's a, a free download on my website on davidyoungmusic.com if you like. And if you're looking for meditation music on my website or any music for a Reiki or any spiritual healing music, go to the meditation category on my website. And it's been a total pleasure chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you for joining us. Peace and love always. Thank you. Bye, sweetie. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.